Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good this morning? I love that song. Amen. Do you, like, do you love that song? I love the thought that we're not alone in the fire. And that might not sound like much until you're in the fire. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Praise God. Man, I love this church. I look around this place and I see people here. Man, I love you. I praise, I praise God for you. I'm glad for you. And I pray that God is going to do a great work. I want to take a moment and just welcome you. If you are a first-time visitor here, we are very glad that you're here. If you're visiting and, or joining us today online, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here as well, uh, joining us. Amen. Uh, we have a great online presence, and uh, we're thankful for everyone that uh, uh, joins with us in the worship of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Second Chronicles, the book of Second Chronicles. Hallelujah. There is a passage of Scripture that I have been praying through lately that has really caught my attention. It's uh, in my time of prayer, this is a Scripture that I, I actually pray the words, and I say these words, spending time meditating on those words and just thinking it through. And it has become absolutely amazing to me, um, and it has become extremely extremely encouraging. And so I want to take a moment and I want you to listen this morning as we begin this. This isn't our text, but this is where we're going to launch from today. And I want you to listen to these words. It's from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to listen to what David writes. He says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought, even from a distance. You chart the path ahead of me, and you tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. That's an incredible thought. It's an incredible statement of comfort. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to think about this, because the reason these words are so powerful is because sometimes you and I, I I think we struggle sometimes to believe that God is even aware of us. Now, I know, you know, that, that, that statement is, is, is kind of simplistic, and I know that, that it, you know, we know better than that. I know that when, when you think about it, we, when you think about it, it's, well, of course God knows who I am. That's, that's, he's God. But it's in those moments, those moments of difficulty, it's in those moments of struggle where we wonder, does he really know what I'm going through? I know, I know the statement sounds naive, incredibly naive, because the very concept of God is that God is all-knowing. Yet I also know that nothing escapes his knowledge or is hidden from him. But in the midst of that, when I'm struggling, when I am having difficulty, when I am going through my trial, my 
problem, my circumstance, and I'm dealing with my own mind and my own feelings, my emotions and all of that, sometimes it's hard for me to accept or to believe that he is aware of this. See, when I am doing well, when everything is going well and I'm in control, amen, when I'm in control, it's not hard for me to believe God is paying attention. My struggle is when I'm going through it and my heart is overwhelmed. The question is, is he aware? Does he know what's happening? Is he aware of my hurt? Is he aware of my pain, my frustration, my problems, my temptations, my situation? Quite frankly, at times it seems he's busy with much more important matters that he's paying attention to. Listen to David. We're, listen, we're not the first ones to struggle with that thought. Listen to what David says. Now remember, the, ver- the passage that we just read was written by David, but this one was written by him as well. In Psalms 13, 1 through 2, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Job cried out basically the same thing. He says, I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. I mean, do you get the feeling of that? Do you, do you have that feeling? Have you ever talked to somebody and you've kind of poured out your heart to them? You've, you've, you've been vulnerable. You've shared, you know, some deep secret, deep struggle inside you. And they, they just kind of, you know, stand there and they just kind of blink their eyes. And you're thinking, did you, did you hear what I said? Did, do, do you get that I'm going through this? Do you, do you understand that this is really difficult for me? So David's struggling with this just like you and I struggle. Yet in Psalm 139, he assures us that he is not only aware of me, he's aware of every thought that I think. Even from afar, he says, and he is aware of every word I'm about to say even before I say it. Amazingly, he is aware. But he's not only aware, he's connected to his awareness of me. And and, and you need to personalize this because it's not just about me. It's about you. He's aware of you. He's aware of your... Look, this is what amazes me about the Scripture. He is aware of my sitting down and my standing up. I don't know if there can be anything more meaningless than when I sit and stand. In the, in the grand scheme of the cosmos, how many, you know, there, there's probably bigger fish to fry in my mind than being, paying attention to when I sit down and stand up. Yet God assures us that I am so connected with you and so aware of you. I know when you sit and I know when you stand and I direct your path and I'll even tell you when to stop and rest. Amen. That's what's amazing to me about this. He knows everything about me. And I guess probably the thing that's really amazing about that is he knows everything about me and he hasn't left me. I want to leave me sometimes because of what I know about me. It's like, 
dude, you, you're a mess. You're, you are a mess. But yet God sees me in all of my messiness. He sees me in my brokenness. He sees me in my struggle and my difficulty and my, all of that. And yet he is still there. And he, he's not just there because he's obligated to be there. He wants to be there. He doesn't have to be there. He wants to be there. There's a big difference. Can you say amen? But when the heat is on and life is becoming overwhelming and I'm troubled on every side, it's in that moment that I face my greatest temptation. Now, you need to listen to this, church. This is, this is something that will help you because, see, it's in that moment, these moments where we kind of feel that disconnect from God and things are happening and we're overwhelmed, we face our greatest temptation, and that is to take matters into our own hands. Amen. We, we don't like being out of control. I don't like being out of control. I, I, I don't like it. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to be Mr. Fix-It. You know, as a husband, I set out to fix everything. I remember one time, Kathy and I had a moment. If you know what I'm talking about. We had a particularly rough day. And when I say we, I mean her. Had a particularly rough day at church. This was, I don't know, many, probably 10, 15 years ago now. And... She gets in the car and she says, I'm done. I'm done with that church. You could take that church. And she was upset. She goes, I don't want to do children's church anymore. I don't like kids anymore. Don't like them. And furthermore, don't like the adults that produce them. I don't like them. Don't like them. Don't want them. Don't want to talk to them. I don't think they're cute. I, I think they're nasty little rug rats that need to be taught. <clears throat> and so I could tell, I tell in this moment, she's upset. And so I'm being the guy that I am. I'm, I'm a counselor. I'm a pastor. And you know, hey, for heaven's sakes, I got my pastor hat on. And, and so I'm sitting there. And so I'm going to pastor my wife. <laughs> this is back far enough that Pastor Pennington was still with us. And and so I go, well, here's what you need to do, baby. And I just begin to, to counsel her. And I, you know, quoted scripture. And, I start, and she stopped me. And she goes, hey, hey, fat boy. <laughs> she says, I don't need a pastor. I need a husband. I already have a pastor. I went, huh. Because see, at that moment, what I wanted to do was fix things. And what she needed was not somebody to rush in and fix it. What she needed is somebody to understand and know what she was going through. Well, let me tell you something. God knows. God knows. He knows. But it's in these moments where we want to take uh, matters into our own hands and we want to fix things. And, and you know, it, it always happens this way, doesn't it? Here, here's the thing. You know, people come along and they, they, they say all kinds of things to us, don't they? And they, they do all kinds of things thinking that somehow they're going to help and we kind of push that out of the way. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Trying to control your life is exhausting. <clears throat> Ask me how I know. 
I say I trust God with my mouth. But the reality is when I get overwhelmed, I'm trying to fix and control it on my own. My trust in God becomes nothing more but a statement that I say rather than a lifestyle that I live out. Are you hearing me? Self-reliance becomes my go-to position. And then I wonder why I feel more and more exhausted every day. Here, if I could say anything and you get this, if you get this, you will have gotten the best part of this sermon. You can't fix it. You can't. Not on your own. You don't have the ability to fix it. And to be self-reliant, to think that somehow you can do it and take matters into your own hands. See, that, that's what fear is, church. Do you know fear and worry is really about taking control? See, what happens, think about it. Let's, let, let's, let's develop a scenario. Let's say a bill comes in that you didn't expect. It's a bill that you hadn't prepared for, and all of a sudden it's a couple hundred dollars, and you're thinking, dear God, I don't have a couple hundred dollars. And attached to that bill is a threat that somehow there's going to be uh, uh, something turned off or something taken away or some sort of, uh, of, of penalty that's going to come your way because somewhere along the line you've got this bill. And so immediately you begin to go to work in your mind. How am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? What's going to happen? You know, and you begin to worry. Why are you worrying? Because you're trying to control the situation. You can't. You can't control it. When you're fearful, when you, you know, do you understand what fear is? Fear is faith in the negative. What you're trying to do is you're trying to bring some resolution to what's going on. You think that I can overcome this by mental ascent. I can, I can work this through in my mind. You can't. You can't. And if you can relate to this, then there's something in the Bible that I want you to pay attention to. And let's look at our, our text today. And I know it's kind of an odd text, but it has something powerful to say in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf, behalf of those whose hearts is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. So I want you to think about this, because in 2 Chronicles 16, this is the last chapter of three chapters that are detailing the story of a guy by the name of King Asa. He was the king of Judea, or Judah. And the chapter stands in sharp contrast to the two that are just before it, because in chapters 14 and 15, we learn that God had given Asa rest on every side. Because of his dependence, because of his trust in God, he was enormously blessed. And God gave Asa victory even in the face of a massive army. Yet, in chapter 16, when King Asa finds himself in a simple border conflict with King Basha of Israel, isn't it always the little things? It's always, you know, the big things we seem to handle much better, but it's those little things that happens Asa suddenly and surprisingly shifted his behavior. And instead of crying out to God, 
Asa immediately turns to his own means, turns to his own ability. He starts taking matters into his own hands. And the result is that he never found peace again. See, when we insist, either through ignorance or arrogance, on doing it our way, on taking matters into our own hands, we nullify peace in our lives. And you know, we, we are so famous for all of this because we, we do this on a regular basis. Well, there's all kinds of things that we do. You know, when we, you know, probably where you see this the biggest is in the interpersonal relationships between people. You know, somehow we feel like that we have got the ministry of correction. <laughs> that it is up to me to correct all the other Christians around me. Last time I checked, it was the Holy Spirit's job to bring that conviction. About the best I can do in my own is bring condemnation. And so what I do is I go out and and I feel like, oh, somebody's got to take a stand. Somebody better just do something and say something. And you know what ends up happening is we nullify peace. Maybe, Maybe what God wants you to do is to pray. Maybe, maybe what he wants you to do is to love, just love. You know, the, the amazing thing is, and, I, and I'm kind of going off my notes a little bit here, but the amazing thing is, is that everything that you encounter in life can be handled through the context of love. Do you know that? Yeah. Love is the most powerful thing on the planet. And you say, well, what is that love? See, love doesn't seek its own. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It it's not about you. Love, 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 loves. Sometimes in the midst of our faith, we can undermine our own love because we want to get arrogant about our faith. We want to throw in our zeal to help people find their place in God. We actually throw them off the apple cart because we're just not loving them. See, it's God to con- God connects me to the body, not you. God convicts me of sin, not you. And what we do is we get in this and, and we're in these places and in these, see, because it's in the relationships of people and it can be, it can be a husband, wife, it can be a brother, sister, it can be co-worker, it can be friends or relatives or just church mates that we get into this place that we think we have this responsibility and so we get irritated because so-and-so didn't acknowledge me or they, they gave me a dirty look or, or they didn't shake my hand or, or maybe they told a story. Don't you hate it when people tell stories about you? I do. I hate it when people talk about me. You know why? Because generally they don't have the information. They think they do. They think they know. But even in that, you know what God tells me to do? You know how God tells me to handle it? What he does is he says, what you need to do is pray for your enemy. You bless those that curse you and do good to those that persecute you and despitefully use you. That's what he tells you to do. 
But what we do is take matters into our own hands and because we're going to work it out. You know, and then we, we, get these, we get these scriptures on like, go to your brother and work it out. And what we do, church, this is what we do, is we take an Old Testament context and try to put it into a New Testament situation. Do you know the Old Testament was the Old Covenant? That's when everything was getting killed. I know you do. But that's gone. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died, he spilled his blood. And through what we learn in the communion, he says, this blood is my covenant, the new covenant. He says, now things are going to work differently. I'm going to work through grace and mercy and love. He says, no longer do you have to work to righteousness, but you are made righteous. Righteousness is no longer a goal you have to obtain, but it's the platform from which you live. Because what we learned back here is you can't do it. So what we do is we take this, we, we, we confess New Testament theology, but we live out Old Testament reality. And so what we do is we bring condemnation and hardship and difficulty, and God says, you've missed it. You've missed it. And we wonder, well, how, you know, and we find our favorite verses, don't we? Because it's what we're doing is we're taking things into our own hands. And what it's doing is it's under, you know what it's doing? It's undermining our peace. He looks at, he, he looks at, this is the point of this thing. He says, you know what? You could have trusted me in this, but you know what? You chose to do it your way. Now you're going to have war forever. Let's move on. Here's the thing, church. God will give you what you want. And if you want him to leave you alone, he will. (laughs) It's not his desire. He's not happy about it. It breaks his heart. But he will not force himself on you. Think about this. King Asa, whose faith meant victory in the past, invites battle into his future because he refuses to trust God in his present. I find, personally, this story convicting and sobering. And I think it's very important that we pay attention to it because just like Asa, our past declarations of faith are no guarantee that we will rely on God in our future. Faith, church, is a present, ongoing choice for every believer. My, the faith I had yesterday is not good for the faith that I need today. I have to choose today to believe. I choose today to trust. I choose this day I will serve the Lord. This day I will stand for him. This day I will walk in love. This day I will trust what he's doing In my life, can you say amen? Amen. So real quick, I want you to look at two truths this morning from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, the text that we read that will help us to keep choosing to trust God, and not just with our words, but with our actions as well. First is God is not blind to our circumstances. God knows. 
God knows. See, if we've already said, when life gets hard, we can sometimes wonder if God is blind to what we're facing. And, you know, we've all experienced this to some level or another. We've all felt this. You know, we've been hurting. We, we feel the pain of our situation. Something has gone wrong in our life, some trial, some problem, some loss, some tragedy. And someone comes up to you and says, I know how you feel. And there's some part of you that wants to scream out, no, you don't. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what's going on in my head. You don't know what's going on in my heart. You're not me, so don't tell me you know how I feel. And to a large degree, you're right. No other human being can ever know how you feel. Not totally, not completely. No one can live our lives for us except for one person. I know you think it's you, but it's not. (laughs) One man knows how we feel all the time. One man empathizes with us completely and totally. One man feels what we feel in every situation, in everything that we go through. One man knows, and his name is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our best friend. Now listen, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The problem with the English language is it doesn't do the sentiment of that verse justice. See, what he's saying is Jesus knows your pain. Now, the problem is, is the way the English language gives us it, it gives us this understanding that Jesus knows what it's like to be in pain. But church, that's not what we're talking about. Jesus knows your pain. Not, 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 not your pain as a human being, your pain, your, what you're going through right now. He knows it. He knows your sin. He knows your temptation. He knows your difficulty. He knows your struggle. He knows everything about you. He knows you. He knows you. You were, the Bible tells us that we were fearfully and wonderfully, wonderfully made. In the underground workshop, the Bible says, God formed me. He says, he's the one that puts skin on me. And then he even says this, listen, he says, Before I ever lived them, you wrote down the events of the days of my life. He knows me. He knows you. He knows. He doesn't just relate to being human. He relates to me. See, we serve a God who sees. His name is El Roy. He is the God who sees. He sees my circumstances and my situation, and he is moved by compassion into action. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus didn't just go, wow, that's really a sad situation. 
Boy, that's horrible. No, what it means is Jesus got out of the boat and got into the situation because of his compassion and did something about it. Are you hearing me? He got into the fray. He got into the difficulty. He took upon himself my sin, my pain, my failure, my difficulty. The Bible says in in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he who knew no sin, the one that was perfectly pure, the one that was the, 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 the man of God, the one that was the son of God, he was fully man, fully God, that one took upon, he became sin so that I could become righteous. He took my sin, mine, and he gave me his righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus had great compassion. Great compassion. Now, I know there are verses in the New Testament where there are times that Jesus are dealing with people that seem less than compassionate. But when you do an examination of that and you look at it, you know what he's dealing with? He's dealing with the religious world. He's dealing with people that are insisting on doing it the old way. See, Jesus never had a problem with a sinner. Never. He ate with them. He walked with them. He fellowshiped with them. He went to the tax collector's home and had dinner. The woman caught in the act of adultery, he releases her, forgives her, lets her go. The hardest rebukes came to the people that were always trying to do it their way. The people that were still thinking they could get it done. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We serve a God who sees. Not only do we serve a God who sees, but we serve a God who hears. His name is Elohim Shemaiah. He hears our cry. And he rescues us. The Bible says this in Psalms 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He is an all-knowing, ever-present God who is continually aware of every detail of our lives. And not only is God aware, but he's looking. The Bible says in our text that God's eyes are roving, they're roaming throughout the earth to show himself strong on the behalf who wholeheartedly place their trust in him. Do you know God wants to give you goodness? God wants to give you mercy. God wants to bless you. God wants to help you, but God will not violate your will. You say, what must I do? You must surrender. That means when all the bullets are flying, you don't defend. This is a lesson, church, that I'm learning. I, there's, a, there's a place in me that wants to defend. There's a place in me that wants to rise up and take over. There's a place in me that wants to stop what's going on. And God says, do nothing. I will fight this battle today. You praise me. You praise me. If you want to do something, praise me. Believe me. Trust me. Consider this in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. It says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. At the end of chapter 2 of Exodus, Moses is a fugitive in the land of Midian. He's running and hiding from Pharaoh. The people of Israel are struggling struggling under Egypt's cruelty. They are crying out for deliverance from their oppressive, abusive slavery. 
In the end of the chapter, God puts these words, and God knew. Those words are pregnant with hope, church. Those words were pregnant with hope for them, and those words are pregnant with hope for us. It is not cliche or flippant to say that God knows. God knows. Because it's the very essence of who he is to us. God is aware of our suffering. He was aware and understood what was happening to the children of Israel and how it was affecting each of them. God knew the dehumanizing routine that is, a, is part and parcel of the slave experience. He knew the premature breakdown of their bodies as a result of the exhausting manual labor. He knew the bitter erosion of hope that occurs when no answers seem to be forthcoming. He knew the resentment and the anger that was on constant simmer in a culture of hopelessness. He knew. God knew, and he was preparing to take action in a way that would permanently leave an indelible mark upon the collective memory of the human race. But listen to this. Here's an amazing truth. God didn't just know what was happening. God knew all along it was going to happen. And there is great hope in that. See, centuries earlier, God had told Abraham, this is what's going to happen. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. It says, then he said to Abram, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and also the nation who they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, the nature and implications of God's foreknowledge has been debated for centuries. How God's sovereignty and how the will of man work together seamlessly in the realm of God and in the kingdom of God is too deep for us to understand. I don't know how God can be a completely sovereign God yet require me to make a decision. I do not understand that. I don't know how that works. I just simply know that it does. And admittedly, this is pretty deep water for us humans to swim in. Can you say amen? But in this text, we have a direct quote from God himself on the subject. He says so plainly that this is what's going to happen. No one could mistake it. In fact, look at the words. He says, no, certainly. In other words, this is assured. Certainly this will happen. Your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. And they will serve those that of that land. It's a direct quote. He reveals to them the plan. Now, here's the thing. God's revealed foresight also reveals to us that God has a purpose in this horrible experience, a purpose whose scope extends way beyond Israel. God knows what he's doing. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? I don't know what you're going through, but I know God has a purpose in it. I don't know what your struggle is, I don't know what your difficulty is, but I know this, all things work together for good. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say all things were good, because they're not. All things work 
together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the difficulty. Here's the thing I do know is God knows. Not not only does he know what I'm going through, he knew before I even started entering into it. He said, well, why didn't God prevent it? Why, why, what, what does all this mean? What's, what's going on? What's happening here? There is a purpose. There is a plan. God has not forgotten. Can you say amen? I know it may seem like to the children of Israel, it probably seemed like in, in the midst of their bloody, sweaty, tearful, agonizing experience, they may have thought that it looked like God forgot, but he didn't. He knew. He He had foreknown, and he knew just what he was doing. And it may look like this morning in your situation or in your circumstances, God has forgotten. He has not forgotten. He has known all along. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And you can rest assured that it is for his glory in your benefit. You know, church, I, I, I like to take things and bring them into a little bit more of a practical application. This morning, in the 8.30 service, we had something interesting happen. So what happened? All the power for the electronics went out. So there was, watch. John, John don't, don't, I hear I'm going to do something. is why we enjoy electronics right here. <laughs> and so that happened, and so it, was, it happened, and it was prolonged, and, and, you know, and I'm kind of horsing around with it, making fun of it, and you say, well, what were you doing? I was, I was giving time for the guys in the back to figure out what had happened. Yep. And then all of a sudden, it came back on, and we went on, and we did our thing, and after service, I, I, you know, Jason and Courtney and several others had come up to me and said, what happened was the power cord in the back that's underneath the soundboard got kicked and was unplugged. And so they said to me, so what we're doing is we're going in there. Jason, this is what Jason said. He said, next week I'm working on that so that never happens again. And they, they actually did a temporary fix with some duct tape. How many know duct tape can fix anything? And so that it wouldn't happen in the 1030 service. And then I came into the office and was sitting and, and the guy that kicked the cord, he comes into my office and he says, you know what, I was the one that kicked, it was my fault. And I says, it's okay. He goes, why is it okay? And I says, it's, he goes, man, it just messed up the service. I said, no, it didn't. It fixed every service from this point on. See, the problem is it's how we look at situations. You can look at it like it's, oh, this is bad. Oh, my God, they kicked the cord, and I'm such a horrible wretch. I, I got too big a feet, and I'm no good, and God hates me, and life is going to go down the tube because I turned pastor's mic off. No, I look at it as is that we needed some motivation to get our butts back there and fix the problem. And God says, I know how to motivate you. Now, you may look at me and you may say, well, you know, is that God? Is he rolling dice with the universe? No, I think he's a really, 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 really good father. And sometimes, have you ever looked at your kids and said, you know, you probably ought to put your bike away before it gets stolen? And then your kids ignore you. Next day you wake up, the bike's stolen. Huh, how did I learn that? I didn't read it in a book. I had my bike stolen. So now you've learned something. 
and you're growing, and we'll get you a new one. It'll be replaced. Everything will be okay. And God says, you know what? Sometimes in the midst of these trials, in these tribulations, I have a purpose for your life that far outweighs your personal comfort at the moment. And if you will trust me, not only will you have victory in it, not only will you see a side of me you've never seen before, not only will you be able to glory with me alongside me in the midst of your trial, but when you get victory, it will so indelibly be written on your heart, you will never forget it. See, church, it's not about the trial. It's not up God's up in heaven going, I'm going to teach them a thing or two. Here, you want to see what hot's like? That's not what God's doing. God's not mean. God says life happens. How many know that in life, there's a few bumps? I was told that this morning by a very wise man. He goes, well, life's like that a little bit. Sometimes there's some bumps. And God says, I got a great idea. You're going to learn a thing or two on each bump. Thank God for that. Thank God that not only he knows what I'm going through, he knows before I get there, and he sets me up for victory. He says, watch this. The devil thinks he's going to win, but I'm going to use you in the midst of that situation to run him down. Well, it don't work out that way for me, preacher. You're right, it don't. And you know why? Because you get in the way. I was listening, I forget who it was, I was listening to a preacher give a testimony about how he uh, uh, came into the ministry he had, he's got this great worldwide ministry, he's had a lot of impact, lots and lots and lots of people, one to the Lord and all of this, and he gives this testimony, he says, when I was a young man, God spoke to me and said, if you'll get out of the way, I'll use you greatly. That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your way, and he will direct your path. Jesus guarantees your exodus. Now, you didn't hear me. Jesus guarantees your exodus. I don't know what difficulty you're going through, but listen to me. Jesus guarantees your exodus. And your problems and your troubles have purpose. You likely don't know it yet, but someday you will. Your circumstances have a timeline. Listen to what I'm saying. I know you don't know it yet. Likely you will down the road. And I know right now it feels too long already. But one day you will understand. You will look back and go, I am better for it. Because I learned something about me, God, and victory in the midst of it. Amen. And it will make sense. Your exodus is far greater than anything Israel ever received. The promise God's taking you to is way better. Jason and the worship team can come if they want. But I need you to remember today that God knows. See, church, the thing, in the, the thing that I'm learning in the midst of this is to stop. I still have this thing where I want to get upset. I want to get angry. I want to get frustrated. 
I want to shake my fist. I want to get mad. But I'm learning to stop, to sit down, and to calm myself and go, you know what, God, this ain't nothing. You knew I was going to be here all along. And you actually have an answer in the midst of this. You are going to teach me exactly what your word says. You're going to show me how to deal with this. You're going to show me what you want to do. You're going to speak to me in the midst of this. You and I are going to commune over this, and I am going to find victory and a sense of purpose and, and the sense of the kingdom that I never had before because of this. The devil meant it for evil, but God's meant it for good. I don't always understand. I'll be honest with you. I don't always understand. But I am coming to a place where I'm slowing down and saying, God, I trust you. I don't get it. I trust you. I don't get it. I've learned that that's saving me a lot of heartache. It's bringing a lot of peace. I don't understand. But God says, I'll do it. I will be faithful before. I've been faithful before. I will be faithful again. Can you say amen? And that's the second thing that we learn in this verse of Scripture that we've looked at. That God actually brings me to a place of faithfulness. That he shows me his faithfulness so I can be faithful to him. Are you hearing me? God reveals himself over and over and shows me another facet and another facet. And sometimes, church, the most beautiful colors we see are painted on a background of black. You say, why is that? Because it gives contrast. It lets us see clearly. You know, we say all the time, we use this phrase, God's got this. And there is no doubt he does. He's got this. He's got me. I'm in his hand. I'm in his heart. His name, my name is written on the palm of his hand. He never forgets me. And he assures me, I'm going to help you. I'm going to lift you up. Look at Isaiah 41.10. You can look it up later. Isaiah 41.10 says, with my righteous right hand, I'll lift you up. I'll assure you that I'm helping you. I'll assure you. I'm there, right there. And I could trust that he knows. God knows. God sees me. God hears me. In 1 Peter 3.12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. I claim that promise every day. Your eyes are on me, God. Your ears are open. That doesn't mean the days aren't difficult, because sometimes they are. But he's there. He's there. You know, the disciples, they did go through the storm. But the one that calms the storm was in their boat. See, modern Christianity wants to eliminate the storms. And I think we do ourselves a little bit of a disservice. Because you, you may know him as the Son of God, you may know Him as the Word of God, you may know Him in all of His technical, theological ways, but it's only when you need a Savior that you will know Him as Savior. When He calms the storm, you'll realize that He has authority over the wind and the waves too. And you'll be blown away. You'll stand in awe of Him, and you'll go, God, you are so good. It's my belief that the reason some storms are prolonged 
is because we just simply get in the way. And if we would just go, okay, God, you got this, we would come out much faster with everything intact. Can you say amen? You know what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to close this service with just a little bit of worship. And so if you want to sit, you could sit. If you want to stand, you could stand. But just join us in this worship as we close down today. God bless you.
now Unless you come Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want Is all you are Will you meet me here again? And I'm not you come, will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are, will you meet me here again? Jesus, we thank you, Father. God, we thank you for the fact that it's not about us striving, because in, in us striving, God, we're not enough. There's nothing that we could do that will ever repay what you've already done for us, Lord God. We thank you for the fact that when we call, you are always faithful to respond. God, we thank you, God, for revealing just another facet about yourself to us. God, we just rest in the fact that all we want is you, Lord. That's it. We just want to be near you, around you, with you, God, in every aspect of our life. God, it's not when we, there's nothing special about this room. I said this last week. There's nothing special about these four walls. There's nothing, it's, it's all that's required is participation on our part, us taking that step. And it's not, us taking that step is not the first step that was made in the, the exchange. He's already made a step towards us. And so it's just about us responding. So Father God, we thank you for this time that we've gotten to get, get together and, and worship you as a family. And as we leave this place, Lord, I just pray that you just create divine encounters where we can share who you are with, the, with our friends, with our, with our family, with our community. God, I just pray that we just become aware of those moments, that we don't just overlook them or we don't just let them pass by and give us the courage to be able to speak. We just thank you for what you're doing in this place, Lord. We're going to have our ministry team come on up. If you have something that, that you need uh, contending for, whether that be something physical or emotional, financial, whatever it may be, that you just want someone to come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you, that is what this ministry team is for. So please make use of them. You guys are free to go. We thank you so much for coming to church this morning. Uh, love one another as on your way out. Remember, if this is your first time here, meet us at the information desk. We love you guys. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.